2: Every weekday, we're
3: bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more.
2: I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share.
4: Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright
1: Side. It's Thursday, August 11th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. U.S. inflation has eased slightly to 8.5%, down from its 40-year high of 9.1%. Some of the gains have been made up with falling energy and gas prices, but grocery prices are still a concern as they're up 13% from last year. Gwen Guilford, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for what to know about the latest inflation numbers. Next, the labor market remains tight despite recession fears, and the U.S. added 528,000 jobs in July, driven mostly by travel and hospitality sectors. On the other hand, the tech sector has been dealing with cuts and businesses booming for layoff specialists. These are companies that help businesses with identifying people who to lay off, make sure they receive the right amount of severance and day of communication plans. Maxwell Strawn, features writer and editor at Motherboard, joins us for what to know. Finally, the COVID pandemic has changed just about every aspect of Americans' health, and it has been mostly for the worse. As people missed health screenings, abandoned routines, and went through isolation, we saw a range of other chronic diseases worsen. Overall death rates of heart disease and stroke rose. Drug overdose deaths and alcohol abuse also rose. Brianna Abbott, health reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
2: Well, the price of some things go up, went up last month. The price of other things went down by the same amount the result
1: zero inflation last month joining us now is Gwyn Gilford, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal thanks for joining us Gwen. thanks for having me well we saw U.S. inflation it's still at a 40-year high but the latest numbers show that it has eased a little bit to 8.5 percent in July the last number that we saw was 9.1 percent so some good news. <laughs> I mean, anything is good. We'll take it right now while we can. It seems like we're seeing the gains with falling energy prices. We saw lower gas prices have helped out a lot, but grocery prices are still a concern as those have gone up. those uh, are thirteen point one percent higher since last year. So Gwen, what are we seeing with the latest numbers?
3: you laid it out really well. It came down eight point five percent from nine point one percent. That seems like a lot, but then you're like eight point five percent that's pretty darn high right so we've got inflation is is still a really big problem for the economy, and it's you know eating a hole in people's pockets pretty fast. So one of the big reasons, another you know reason for sort of tempering that upbeat outlook on on things is that energy, as you noted, big you know it, gasoline prices decreased, natural gas prices decreased on the month. And so you know that had a big drag on you know the overall, Index, but we're still seeing price pressures broaden throughout the economy, meaning that prices are rising for more and more things that people buy. And that builds, that feeds on itself and that hits more and more of our budgets. And so that's still a really big problem. It's something that we all worry about and that the Fed is going to worry about. It's going to continue to worry about.
1: So what we've seen is a slowdown in growth for the economy. That's kind of what's fueling some recession fears, but we're seeing this inflation go down a little bit. So we know we're not out of the woods. Is it too early to tell that this could be a positive trend for us? Or if it's uh, could it just be a blip for right now?
3: I think it's probably too early to tell. We want to see, you know, things are looking okay for August. Gasoline prices continue to come down. And at some point soon, we'll probably start seeing, I mean, you know, I know everybody stays on top of the eggs futures and chicken futures. And right, they've gone up so that, much. Right, yeah. <laughs> but they've actually come down. Grain prices have come down a bunch. And so those are kind of upstream. Those uh, big drops in prices, they haven't filtered through to the grocery shelves yet. But- they should in next few months, maybe not by August, but by the fall, food prices should start to ease. So we should have some relief on the grocery front, maybe on the you know restaurant front, too. Um, so that's something we can kind of look forward to. One thing that isn't easing at least in um the way you know the labor department measures it is rent and housing costs. That continues to go up a lot. That's going to make it hard for inflation rates to come down. To the Fed's target in the way you'd want them to. How is the Fed
1: going to react to some of this news? Because we've seen them raise interest rates in both June and July. They don't meet again until September. So, I mean, obviously, they're going to l- wait and see how those changes have played out, but they've signaled still that they intend to keep raising the interest rate.
3: That looks very much to be on the cards. They've signaled that they want to see price pressures and economic growth cooling before they kind of pull back on the pace of rate increases. And this is a good report. Like, it's definitely better than a lot of the reports we've had for the last few months. But it's probably not enough to hang your hat on. So we'll get another one in August before or the August report before the September meeting so that's going to be important to watch obviously and then you know the labor market kind of knocked everybody's socks off the last one and if you keep seeing really strong labor market growth it's going to be hard to be like oh yeah we've got this like overheating economy it's it's all cooling down so it, like those those factors have to come together and we'll have a better sense by mid September
1: yeah the uh, labor market added 528,000 jobs in July You know we're seeing some high wage growth there it's not enough to offset the price increases of inflation but still hot jobs market we're seeing a lot of those jobs come in sectors in the hospitality travel leisure sectors you know bars restaurants hotels all of that and we're even seeing a shift uh, a shift in consumer spending from people buying physical goods right throughout all the pandemic was about buying clothes and things for our homes into a lot of these things for high pent-up demand for travel going out to restaurants so we're seeing a little shift in consumers at least there
3: You know, that's potentially important to understand because services, prices, you know, once they start rising, they tend to have a little momentum there in a way that, you know, kind of manufactured goods don't so much. And so that could be a factor that keeps inflation a little bit more elevated than we want it to be in through the rest of the year, maybe into next year.
1: Gwen Guilford, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Yeah, thanks as always for having me.
0: kind of in shock and kind of unsure how to go about these things so they've been listed a number of different firms sometimes called outplacement firms but companies that are essentially specialists in helping companies with layoffs they're asking them for help dealing with these hard times
1: joining us now is maxwell strawn features writer and editor at motherboard thanks for joining us maxwell
0: thank you for having me
1: Well, we've been seeing a lot of weird things going on with the jobs market right now. It's a tight labor market still. We're seeing a lot of hiring in sectors that are rebounding pretty well. We're talking about hospitality, leisure, travel, bars, restaurants, hotels. They're all hiring at really good pace right now. They need more workers still. But one place where we're seeing that some layoffs might be coming or already happening is in the tech sector. So we're seeing you know, these fears of a recession take hold. These companies, big companies are trying to adjust what they're doing, and they're seeing that they might have to lay off a lot of people. And so what's happening now is that business is starting to boom for layoff specialists, companies that help other companies handle this in particular. So Maxwell, what are we seeing there?
0: yeah so we're seeing that you know the the tech sector has had an incredible decade-long run by any measure private companies startups big public companies uh it's just been up and to the right for them but like you said while certain employment areas have continued to see gains the tech industry is really struggling as a result of rising interest rates and we've seen tens of thousands of layoffs in the tech sector a lot of these companies were only created You know in the last few years and so the founders and executives running them don't really have much experience running layoffs it's it's they're kind of in shock and kind of unsure how to go about these things so they've been listed a number of different firms sometimes called outplacement firms but companies that are essentially specialists in helping companies with layoffs they're asking them for help dealing with these hard times
1: Yeah. I mean, it's so weird to think, as you mentioned, that these companies are so brand new. They haven't had to go through these types of periods. And yeah, you're going to fire somebody here and there. That's like a singular person. But when these companies are starting to lay off 15, 20 percent of staff, then it becomes a different thing. And we all know that story uh, of the company that had a big Zoom call with their companies and said, hey, well, you guys are all fired now. Everybody was making a big deal out of it because it was just so shocking to hear that a company would do it so callously and just, you know, so matter of fact, I guess. So these layoff companies do help others figure out who's going to get laid off, the correct type of severance pay they should be getting. And that's where they're finding a lot of mistakes, you know, especially in that severance pay, you know, people aren't getting paid exactly what they should be.
0: That's exactly right. And, you know, a lot of these companies told me, we hear over and over and over again, how do we not become better.com? These founders don't want to mess up their layoffs. They don't want to, at a minimum, just cynically have a PR disaster on their hands. So, But one of these firms, Onwards HR, they specialize specifically in trying to make sure that your severance amounts are the right thing and the right amount but they told us like a lot of these companies that are preparing for layoffs, they're using spreadsheets, they're using word docs, they're using, you know, really kind of manual processes to figure out what people are going to be owed. And so as a result Lots of times people do receive the wrong amount of severance. And so what Onwards HR does, for example, is they're a tech company that helps tech companies figure out the correct amount of severance that they should be receiving. They've created the software that makes sure that you know they put in X, Y, and Z about employee A, and uh, it pops out the right amount of severance and you'd be surprised i mean it sounds like from the people that i spoke with that a lot of these companies are kind of flying by the seat of their pants when they're preparing for these layoffs so these companies come in and they're obviously thought about layoffs much longer than a lot of these tech companies uh tech companies that often don't want to admit that they might be doing layoffs until the very last minute
1: you know what we're hearing from some of these layoff specialists as well is that they had record numbers of requests of, or at least inquiries in July, and they think that business is going to be better for them in August, meaning it's going to be worse for workers in these sectors. So that's something to consider there. And beyond a PR nightmare that is a huge layoffs and whatnot... It can really affect the company in a bunch of other ways. It could cause existing workers to want to quit. It could cause prospective employees to not take the offers because of how they might have handled these things. So it can really affect them. And, and uh, you know, uh, women and people of color could be disproportionately affected as well. It could really affect a company if they bungle a series of layoffs.
0: It's a big risk for companies. Like you said, I mean, there's the legal aspect of not wanting to face lawsuits for doing these things wrong, not disproportionately laying off women or people of color and then there is also the issue of how the company moves forward you know once you bungled a layoff it's really tough to convince a talented employee at another company to come over there and a lot of the employees that are left they oftentimes go well you know this company doesn't seem like a safe place for me or maybe they don't see it as a rational actor and so they start to look other places and i spoke with one business professor who said you know a lot of times people look at layoffs as just how can they fix their balance sheet now? But oftentimes they don't consider the long term, just economic effect right. of layoffs. They don't consider, you know, that person, you know, dealt with this customer and they got along really well. And now we don't have that relationship. Or maybe employees say, you know what, I used to be willing to take risks and try to be innovational at this company. Now I really want to save my job so they start being a little more careful and that can come hurt the company in the long, uh, long run as well. So yeah, there's a lot of different effects that messing up a layoff can have.
1: Maxwell Strong, features writer and editor and motherboard. Thank you very much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Just as much as a virus does or a heart disease does, um, loneliness and isolation are health issues, uh, and they have an impact on how we feel and our well-being. Joining us now is Brianna Abbott health reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Brianna. Thanks for having me. Well, let's take a look at how COVID-19 and the pandemic has changed Americans' health. You know, there's obviously the chief thing we were dealing with was the pandemic, this novel virus that was affecting everybody. And uh, by the time that we are now, we kind of made through the worst of it, it seems like, hopefully. But it also changed everything else in the healthcare system. Americans were missing screenings. They abandoned uh, routine checkups they've experienced loss and through death and isolation because of the shutdowns and all that and so we saw a range of other chronic diseases and kind of those numbers start to tick up so brianna for just kind of a broad overview what are we looking at here
2: yeah so we are looking at the pandemic sort of having these ripple effects into every sort of aspect of health in america for the reasons that you talked about a lot of people couldn't go anywhere for months. They experienced loss of loved ones, experienced isolation, disruption of routines, missed healthcare and health systems and public health departments that usually do a lot of this work were also overrun. So they weren't really able to do the level of work fighting a lot of these other chronic conditions that they normally do. So that combination really had an impact on our health that sort of we're just now starting to see sort of emerge in the data because the data tends to be a couple of years behind. But, you know, we're seeing it in everything from heart disease and stroke to mental health to antimicrobial resistance. So you you really sort of see these impacts across the board.
1: Let's just run through some of these. Uh, You mentioned heart disease and stroke. So we saw overall death rates in these uh, sections just rise sharply during the pandemic.
2: Definitely. And the data that we have, just to say, the data that we have runs through 2020 that we used in in the study. So it doesn't have the most recent years. But in, in the first year of the pandemic, we saw overall deaths and death rates from heart disease and stroke rise pretty sharply. And that sets back progress against two of the nation's leading killers in the U.S. Part of it had to do with, you know, Missing doctor's visits earlier on when things were shut down and the virus was really overwhelming hospitals. People didn't want to go even even though you know you should if you're you're having a heart attack. So you know some people died at home and COVID infections themselves sort of also increase the risk for stroke and heart attack. And on top of that, going forward, people have been under more stress generally in the past few years and haven't been as active. So doctors are sort of really trying to help and want people to get back to sort of managing their chronic conditions and and their heart health as well.
1: Let's talk about drug and alcohol use, because very early on in the pandemic, we're hearing a lot of stories about people, you know, we were shut down, people were staying home, using a lot more recreational drugs, drinking a lot more. That was a huge one. So that's been a a pretty big issue that people have had to deal with throughout the pandemic.
2: You're right. We saw drinking sort of increase and the early months of the pandemic, and a recent report showed that, you know, alcohol-related deaths increased about 25% from 2019 to 2020. It had been rising before that, but this was sort of a bigger jump. And the same thing with, unfortunately, opioid overdoses. So we knew that those were increasing sort of prior to the pandemic as well. In a lot of these, for instance, the pandemic didn't necessarily start new health problems. They just exacerbated ones that were already existing. And that unfortunately includes the opioid epidemic as well.
1: Let's talk real quick about superbugs because this is a, we just saw a study come out recently talking about how antibiotics were overused early on in the pandemic. Nobody really knew how to treat COVID, so they were throwing everything that they could at them. They were throwing a lot of antibiotics at people, and that really just kind of uh, fueled this strains of antibiotic resistant bacteria out there. Just overprescribing them, just kind of leading us down that path.
2: Definitely, it's a combination of that, like using antibiotics incorrectly to treat COVID patients before we knew more. Plus, they were worried that COVID patients would have co-infections with some other bacteria, which happens sometimes in the hospital. So there was that fear that also sort of led to, to overprescribing. And then also a lot of these hospitals and health centers were really just overstretched. And so a lot of the prevention efforts that they usually have to sort of keep, you know, these infections on a minimum slipped a little bit. So that also caused an impact. In addition to the overprescribing, we just saw the overwhelming of healthcare systems sort of impact their prevention efforts.
1: Mental health. Now, that's been a huge one. We've been hearing a lot about that. Obviously, adults had a very serious time throughout the pandemic, but particularly children and adolescents had a really hard time being disrupted with their school schedules in and out. And they've had a particularly tough time, too.
2: Definitely. That is a huge concern. And sort of like the other topics we've been talking about It was there before the pandemic, and then the pandemic definitely added fuel to fire to the mental health crisis that we're experiencing in the U.S., especially among younger children. And there were some third, like one third of some 7,000 U.S. high school students surveyed responded to a CDC questionnaire saying that they had, you know, reported poor mental health in the pandemic. So it's like really a significant proportion of folks. And so hopefully that's one of the things that as they get back to school and sort of get back into more routines that there's sort of help there and that starts to improve. But, you know, a lot of them also faced not only social isolation, but like economic hardship and sort of family loss or illness as well. So it was really a, a, a tough time for the youth and sort of hopefully that can sort of be one of the things that hopefully rebounds soon.
1: Brianna Abbott health reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: That's it for today. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod, on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright, and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.
2: Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce.